welcome to the Ministry Marks Podcast. I'm David Haynes, and I'm joined by Thomas Majors. Thomas, how you doing today, buddy? I'm doing good. Yay, I'm so glad to hear that. Well, what are we going to be talking about on today's podcast? We're going to be talking, what three questions would you want to ask a great pastor? Ooh, that sounds really nice. So three questions that we would like to ask a great pastor. Well, you know, just honestly, we've not given any defining factors to what a great pastor is. You think we ought to discuss that later on on the podcast? I think we definitely should. All right. Well, we will jot that down and we might discuss that later. But here, let's just get it started with what questions would we like to ask a great pastor? One of the things I was thinking about, too, as I was preparing for this was who are some of the pastors that I would really want to ask? I agree. And so nationally, I said, like, Adrian Rogers. Yeah. Even though he's dead and gone. He still speaks from glory every day on his uh, <laughs> love worth finding. <laughs> love worth finding. And then locally, I would think a person like Tommy Vinson. That would be mine. Yeah. What would you think nationally, locally? Okay. Okay. That right there is a really good question. Okay. So you recall back at Blue Mountain College, we got to interview a pastor or two. I remember interviewing Randy Bostic at one point. So I've been able to pick his brain. Uh, right now, David Hamilton and I are on the executive committee of the Mississippi Baptist Convention Board together. So we, we, we drive down to Jackson quite often and uh, spend the night down there getting ready for our meetings. And so I have hours to pick his brain. So those two guys are kind of excused. I like your idea of Tommy Vincent. Tommy Vincent has preached and pastored in many of our southeastern states, Mississippi, Tennessee, Florida. He pastored large churches. Um, at one point, there's a there's a close friend of mine who thinks that Tommy Vincent pastored the largest church in Memphis before Bellevue became the Bellevue that it is today. Where was he at? Lee, 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 Lee Wood, Lee Wood, Lee Wood Baptist. And someone told me they thought that was the largest church in Memphis whenever he was there. You know, and Charles him. Rogers was on the staff with him. Yeah, at, love at, Charles at, Rogers. Yeah. I think what uh, Brad Ball was on staff with him too, I believe, for Maybe a little been. bit of time. And I think he left there and went to either what Colonial Heights or Crossgates uh, down in the Brandon area. Oh, yeah. You know, David Jed is there now, and uh, and I heard he pastored there, and, and it was one of the one of the primary churches back then. Most likely, First Jackson would have been. It. First Jackson no longer is, but uh, but it was the largest church in the state. Uh, first Jackson was at the time. All right. So, so nationally, nationally now, or right now I'm reading, right now I'm reading, uh, right now I'm reading Charles Swindoll, Daily Grind one and two. Uh, Swindoll has, has talked to me so much after the years through, uh, through his writings, I maybe want to pick his brain, uh, just a little bit. So that's one. And then locally, yeah, I guess Tommy Vincent would be one. That's a good question. I didn't prepare yeah. for. So yeah, that's, that's real good. Back at Blue Mountain College, when you, didn't you enter interview Burt Harper? I did, yeah. I, I, I remember what you said. I actually told someone about two weeks ago something you said from that interview, your recapitulation during the class at Blue Mountain College. And you remember what you said? You do not. I just uh, the way you're looking at uh, me. Was it that he was a cheerleader? No, I used to think highly of him. <laughs> <laughs> no, we love Bert Harper. No, I didn't know that he used to be a cheerleader. No, 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 no. Yeah. He, oh. <laughs> that's how he described his ministry at, oh. he said, he said, I like to think of myself as the cheerleader. Uh-huh. He was at West Jackson at the time when I interviewed yeah. him. He said, I like to think of myself as a cheerleader for West Jackson Baptist Church. Yeah. I'm the person who's going to be on the sideline. 
clapping. Let's yeah. go. Let's do that. We can do this. Let's go, team. Let's go. How about that? He described his ministry style as a cheerleader. Yeah. Being I, on the side. What I recall is he, you ask him, how long does it take you to prepare a message? And his answer was something like 25 hours. And he said early in his ministry, it was four hours, six hours, eight hours. And then it has become longer and longer in the preparation because basically he's preached to, at that time, West Jackson preached to those people so much. He had to continually find new sources. He had to continually read new books to bring new information to them. That's the one thing that stuck in my mind. I was just asked a couple of weeks ago, how long does it take you to prepare a sermon, Sunday morning sermon? I said eight to 10 hours, but I fully expect that to take longer the longer I'm here and the longer I'm in ministry. You don't even remember that, do you? I don't. I don't remember that. Yeah. Uh, not at all. Yeah. But I remember uh, sitting down with him, and it was just one of those pivotal moments in my uh, in my education. Uh-huh. Sitting down with him, Bert Harper, and then the other person I interviewed was, uh, yeah. He's a good friend of yours, I can tell. Randy Bostic. Yeah, oh, Bostic. We've already mentioned him. So you <laughs> yeah. got to interview Bostic. Yes, yeah, so I interviewed yeah. Bostic once or, or twice, I want to say. I interviewed Bostic for, well, I can't say that about my doctoral dissertation because those were anonymous, but I highly regard Randy Bostic's uh, opinion on doctoral things. <laughs> oh, man. How did we get off on this? We're talking about great pastors, man. So we've already mentioned we've already a few mentioned of them. Quite a few great pastors. We sure yeah. have some great pastors. So, so the question is, what three questions would you like to ask a great pastor? Thomas, my first question is this. What's the greatest loss you've experienced? Ooh. What's the greatest loss you've experienced? Now, I think we learn so much through loss and tragedy that it shapes us, who we are, deep down in our souls, and it and a product of that is it shapes our ministries as well. So I would want to ask a pastor, it's just that one question, what's the greatest loss? If he would allow me to have a point A and point B under that one question, it would be greatest ministry loss, greatest family loss. That's what I want to do. I want to know, did he ever have a child that died? If you if you listen to David Jeremiah much, you know about the miscarriages his wife had. If you if you if you read J. Vernon McGee, you hear about the daughter that died almost in his arms. If you read of so many of these guys that have experienced great loss, it comes out in their writing and in their preaching because it made them who they are and it right. made them the Christian they are today. So what grace, great loss, what great loss in the family, ministerially, Junior Hill, his son set at Sunrise Baptist Church. If I've heard him say that once, I've heard him say it at least twice. But anyway, he used to talk about the first church that he served as pastor, Sunrise Baptist Church, and they voted him out. And uh, yeah, voted him out. And he said, my son, set at Sunrise Baptist Church. And so it it shapes who you are. And so I want to know what are those great losses? So you when you say great losses, and if I could follow up with yeah. ministry, family, I was thinking about people in the church who have died that I, would affect the ministry and the pastor. And for me, I would say one of those people was Jerry Brauner. Okay, tell us about Mr. Bronner, or that's what I called him, Mr. Bronner. He gave me a paddling in the eighth grade, and I've always called him Mr. Bronner well, since then. If you didn't call him Mr. Bronner, I'm sure you would get a paddling. <laughs> yeah. uh, Jerry, uh, he was a principal at Kossuth uh, mm-hmm. High School for for many years. Man. He taught yeah. uh, Ronald Meeks, Dr. Meeks, how to, uh, he was 
Dr. Meek's basketball coach at Alcorn Central. Yeah. Um, just a phenomenal person, uh, a man that many people looked up to. Uh-huh. Literally, because he was like six six or six eight yeah. or something like that, so everybody looked up to him. Yeah. But everybody looked up to him as well because of his personality and his character. And he passed away uh, last year, two thousand twenty, uh, because of some complications that he had, uh, health complications from surgeries and things. And uh, that was a great loss to yeah. the church. And because of that, I think the. I would think that the church is still dealing with the loss of uh, Jerry yeah. Bronner in leadership in that. So that's kind of yeah. what I was thinking about. Oh, that, that's a good aspect. That I did not think about it like that. You at were all. thinking of like personal things or, that had happened in the yes. ministry, not necessarily yes. church members who yeah. had passed. Yeah. And, yeah. So, What's the greatest loss? Now, let me let me let me share one here at Trinity Baptist. So it was April of 2016. It's been a little over five years ago now. Uh, we were having a revival, spring revival. Uh, Blake McCain, you remember Blake? We went to Blue yeah. Mountain with Blake. Blake pastor's first FPC Midway down on down South Mississippi. And uh, Blake was preaching revival here. And we had good services Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night. At that time, we had a, a praise team that consisted of, of one more instrument than what we currently have. We had an electric guitar player. His name was Tim Edge. He was, uh, he was a deacon here. He he was a horse trainer and uh, Tim was like 37 years old at the time. And a uh, Wednesday afternoon, Tim had played at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, Monday night, Tuesday night. He was on the stage. He, he, he played, he's playing, serving the Lord Wednesday afternoon, about two, two 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It was struck and killed by lightning. And it was horrendous. It was horrendous on our church family. I had only known Tim about seven months. I'd only been here at the church just a little amount of time, but he was an active deacon. He was a young man at that time. His daughter was, I think two, two or three, because she's now seven or eight. And, uh, and oh man, it was, it was awful. It was awful. And to see his family go through all that, his parents did not attend here. They live across the river and attend a church in, in Mantachi. But uh, his wife was here. All of her family was here. Now five years removed. She's just recently uh, uh, remarried to a good, good guy. Billy is his name. They're involved at church Sunday morning, Sunday night. She's back on the praise team singing. Billy's in one of my discipleship groups where we meet uh, for breakfast. And so that that family is doing really, really good. But it was so hard. Here was the number one question I had to deal with. Why? Why? Why 37-year-old deacon who is faithfully serving the Lord with a two-year-old daughter and a wife, why did God let that lightning strike him? That was so hard. That was so hard. It's even changed the dynamic of our worship service here at Trinity. There's a very popular song that we used to sing here at Trinity that even says, God uh, directs the lightning bolts. And after that, we said, it's true, but it's hurtful. And uh, let's just remove that from our worship service uh, repertoire of songs. And we have. We'll never sing it again. Most likely, we'll never sing it again just because it hurts. It hurts. Yeah. And so that that was, that was a very hard loss that I saw a church go through. And as a pastor, it, it was tough. It was tough. So I have some good thought on my first question. What's yeah. your first question? My first question would be, how did you know it was time to leave or time to retire? Ooh, so these great pastors, you are putting them in the age of 65 to 70. And I would agree. These well, guys I said leave talk about, or retire. Le- okay, leave one ministry, leave one church for another. I or, got you. Or, or retire. retire. Okay, so I'm more interested in the second aspect of that. But please tell more before I railroad your idea. We've already mentioned uh, in another podcast 
that discerning the will of God is a different, a difficult thing to do. And it's really, it's right. It's really like feeling your way around in the dark. Some <laughs> isn't, I mean, you're, you're trying to discern what God wants you to do, how long he wants you to stay at a church. If he wants you to go to another church. And I would just feel like some of these pastors, some of these, these great pastors have been through those situations and because they've been through it, they, they may have, have something that stands out in their mind that says, well, I know God told me because of this, mm-hmm. this thing was, this is what was happening. I would want to follow up some questions like, was it, was it a good time in ministry when God had you lead? Yeah. leave yeah. was it a bad time in ministry when god have had you to leave you know what are some clues how did he use other people to help you discern that but that's really what i would want to to ask yeah that is a really good question on the retirement aspect of that 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 is so interesting you know so often a pastor if he is able body and really able minded, I think it's the mind that's got to hang on the longest. You know, being a pastor physically is not that difficult. Standing behind the pulpit for 30 or 45 minutes is not that strenuous, but it is the mental rigor of preparing and delivering a sermon. But a person can do that well after the expectancy of retirement age. But there comes a point, I believe, where God tells pastors, Hey, you faithfully served, and so now it's time for you to faithfully serve in a different area. Teach a Sunday school class, be an interim, be a transitional pastor, be fill the pulpit for younger brothers on vacation, whatever the case is. But I'd be interested in hearing their answer to that. Yeah, and I think about a person I can't remember his name right now from yeah. Harrisburg Baptist Church. Yeah, what was that guy's name? Oh, who was who was the transitional guy there? No, Chuck? no, no, oh, no, 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 the pastor. Oh, the pastor. Oh, yeah, it's for Sheffield. For Sheffield, yeah, yeah. A good friend of ours, obviously. <laughs> I think I shook his hand once. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think about a person like him. He he retired from yeah. Harrisburg, yeah, largest church in Northeast Mississippi, right. And then he went to Mount Olive yeah, sure as did. the interim transitional, served there for a year or maybe a year two, and a half, two years, maybe. yeah. And now he pastors a small church. I didn't even know that. I think in print, either in Prentice County or Lee County. Oh, I see. Out yeah. in Pratt's. Yeah, yeah. It's a retirement pastorate. So hey. a retirement pastor. Yeah. So he's he's not retiring from the ministry. Yeah. He actually left a larger church, and now he's serving in a smaller church. Yeah. Where they might not be able to get the caliber of pastor and preacher that they have if he's not there as a retired uh, retired pastor. That's right. Probably the same thing with uh, Brother Don, right? Right, right. Same same thing. That's right. He left Trinity and he went to a church as interim pastor and then he stayed there. They voted him in as pastor and then they voted him back in as interim pastor because they decided <laughs> they were never going to do anything. And so then he left there and uh, yes, he is filling the pulpit and Brother Don is, is able body, able-minded and is a good, good pastor and a good, good preacher that a small little bitty church might not be able to you know, you know, afford or so, but he, he sees it as his calling right now in the ministry. And so it'd be yes. able to ask him, okay, how did you know it was time to leave, yeah. uh, retire to do that type of ministry? That would be, I yeah. just think that would be a good, good yeah. question. All right, Thomas, well, well let, let us, let us kind of get it. You left 
You, you, you you're saying <laughs> I knew, no. I, I knew you were fisting well, we to ask me. We walked all around it. We walked all around it. Uh, and, and you, you can show, you can, edit, you're the one who edits this, but you left the pastoral ministry for the ministry of being a Bible professor. How did you know? I knew, I knew a long time before I ever got the call. Okay. <laughs> the Lord was working in your heart. The Lord was working in my heart. And, and I don't know if we've ever even discussed this. I don't even know if Dr. Meeks knows this. One yeah. day when I was the pastor at Tiplersville Baptist Church, it was at Faulkner Baptist Church. Faulkner, Tiplersville, and Providence all worked together to have a winter Bible study. And Dr. Meeks always did it. We were at Faulkner Baptist Church, and I was sitting back there. I you know, came with my church. He was teaching on something. I don't even know what he was teaching on. But I just remember him saying uh, through that, he said, Dr. Travis always used to do these. Uh -huh. And he would say, Dr. Travis did this for something, 30 something years, you know? And yeah. he said, and now I've been doing it. And who knows, Thomas may be the next professor at Blue Mountain. Really? He said that. And yeah. he might be leading these winter Bible studies one day. Yeah. And I never thought about being a professor. Yeah. And I never thought about being at Blue Mountain. And But and so, that, that, that is it. And that put a seed in my heart. And I thought, well, huh. could I be? And I was like, I don't know. I don't think I ever could be. Yeah. And then as I was serving in churches, people would say, you know, you might would be a good teacher. You might. And then yeah. at Holly, I always used to say this. I would never leave Holly for another church. Uh-huh. And, and I couldn't leave Holly for another, I don't, I wouldn't. You loved Holly. I loved Holly. Yeah. Would never leave them for another church to be at, at another pastor. Yeah. But I wouldn't leave Holly because I never got a call. I always thought if I get a call from Blue Mountain College to be professor, that's, that's it. Yeah. I know that that's what's God's. There a lot of people had affirmed that in me through yeah. the time. And then I was like, but I'll never get a call to be professor. Right. And then one day I got a call to, and yeah. they said, would you might consider yeah. coming to Blue Mountain as a professor? And I thought, well, yeah, I'll consider. <laughs> I've been, been thinking about this and praying about and this for no years. And so, so in that process, it was, okay, God had placed something in my heart. It was being affirmed by other people but I did not have the specific call to a specific place. And I never, I, that was the last piece. Yeah. That was the yeah. last piece of the puzzle. If that came, then it would be clear to me that God was calling me out of the pastoral ministry. And it did. Yeah. And the timing of it, I would not have picked to leave Holly Baptist church in the middle of a, a pandemic, mm -hmm. but I felt like I was following God's will because he had made it clear through years of yeah. prayer and other people affirming it in my life. Man, that makes sense, Thomas. It does. So what's your other question? All right. Question number two for me is what's the greatest change through which you've led a church? What's the greatest change through which you've led a church? I, I, I would expect them to talk about building buildings, I would expect maybe uh, a Bostic to talk about relocation of Oakland Baptist from here to there. I, I, I would expect maybe even some to talk about 
changing from one biblical translation to another Bible translation, another translation of the Bible. Uh, back way back when, for some of these pastors, they might have went there in the '80s or the '90s, and it was KJV or NIV. But now they transition to New King James, New American Standard, uh, ESV, whatever you name it. I want to talk about biblical translation. I want to talk about worship styles. What mm, have you yeah. seen down through the years? I want to talk about preaching dress code. What do you, what did you wear then? What do you wear now? How did that change? How did that change the ministry? Uh, that's what I would want to talk about. The other day, I got to pick David Hamilton's brain about uh, audio technology. I said, do you remember the first time you ever preached with a lapel mic? He's like, oh, man. He said, I hadn't even thought about that. He said, yeah. He said, it was the lapel mics that you would plug into the ground that didn't have the body pack. And he said, they were not wireless. They were wired. And he said, you were like a preacher on a leash. He said, you could only get <laughs> six feet around the pulpit. He said, it would, it would, it would hang on your coat. You'd have to go back. And he said, yes. And I'd never heard that. I've never preached with one of those. It was so fun to pick his brain on that aspect. So is, isn't that a song like by, like by that hard rock band, Corn Preacher yeah. on a Leash? Pre- or is that, <laughs> Freak on a leash. Never mind. No. Oh, same thing. Interchangeable. <laughs> <laughs> Six and one. Oh, that's so funny. I, I, just so you yeah. know, I've never actually heard that song. So if it's got cuss words in it, I, I apologize. Don't listen to it. Okay. And here's one up on me. I've never even heard of that song. <laughs> oh, me. So yeah, Thomas. So I would want. I would want to ask about great changes they've seen through the ministry. Okay. So here's here's my one of my questions. Uh, what is your biggest regret in relation to ministry? Ooh. What is your biggest regret in relation to ministry? So, yep. so my idea is this. If they said, what do you mean? I'd say, okay, well, do you, have you had one of those times where you should have dealt with this conflict mm-hmm. and you didn't deal with the conflict? Yeah. Do you, yep. do you regret that? Is there some decision you should have made about a crucial ministry and you just kept putting it off or you did make the decision and now you regret it. Oh man. Or I think one of my regrets as far as ministry is not visiting enough, you know, visiting people in their homes enough. Yeah. So, you know, what is a big regret in your ministry in relation to ministry? And so I'm going to say that it's going to be something like, I would think that a lot of pastors would probably say, well, I really wish I would have done this and I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Or they might say, well, I really wish I would have not done this and I did. Mm -hmm. And boy, did it cost me. Yeah. Um, So that's, that's one of the questions that I would ask. Yeah, that is a really, man, that is a really good question. And there would be a lot of similarities, but and you have to live long enough to see hindsight 2020. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did, but I should have, or I, I didn't and I should have. So yeah, but that's a really good question. All right, Thomas, we're down to my third and final question. I want to ask them who influenced you the most who influenced you the most now i want to put some 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 defining statements on who this is who influenced you the most i don't want it to i want it to be someone non-famous that you actually know that's my descriptor of the who someone non-famous that you actually know preachers and i are one preachers hmm. often 
want to talk about how I've been so influenced by, I'm just going to throw a name out, Max Locato. I've been so influenced by John MacArthur. I've been so influenced by John Piper. I wouldn't know Max Locato, John MacArthur, John Piper if they walked in my office right now, man. I, I wouldn't know them. I hadn't been around them. I hadn't looked at them enough. I don't know those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so often we think we're so influenced by people who don't know – I know them, but they don't know me. Who is someone yeah. who knows you that has influenced you? And you know what I think we would actually hear is a mom, a dad, a grandma, a grandpa, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, a brother. And I think we would hear stuff like that. And I think it would bring it back home to it's not just those super saints that we paid $14.99 to Lifeway to read their books. It's the I'm doing air quotes, Thomas. They can't see it on the podcast, but I'm doing air. it's the little people yeah. in our lives who have probably influenced us the most. You know, that's that's good. So, who would you say who has influenced you the most in My, church life? Oh, in church life. So, I'm going to take away mom, dad, grandparents. Okay, okay. Just church life. So it can be deacon. It can be a former pastor. Um, <sighs> Wow. Boy, that's tough. First, I was going to say my wife because of all of the aspects of a pastor and a but pastor's She's a VBS wife. teacher, so yeah, a VB, she, VBS yeah, director. It's the VBS director. She has influenced <laughs> my life greatly. <laughs> but man, okay, so so looking back on on influential people in in my past, I, I just go back or the first church I ever served as pastor. There was a guy there, Benny Downs. Benny Downs. Uh, he was a good friend. And he was a wise man who helped me behind the scenes. He, 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 he influenced my life. He I haven't seen him now for a number of years. Uh, we text, I text with his wife. Occasionally Benny's going through cancer treatments right now. I took a treatment yesterday. I text with a family. Uh, but he, he influenced my life. When I look back at, at, at Mount Olive Baptist church, I, I think about those who are on the pastor search team. Uh, uh, I think about a guy named Jacob Cunningham, who was a young vet. I think about a guy named Mark Ashcraft. And those two guys were supposed or opposites, but complimented that pastor search team. I think about the chairman, Neil Wallace. I think about those people who influenced me right here at Trinity Baptist Church. Uh, Jimmy Wilson is a guy who is a, he's a current deacon. Uh, he was the the chairman of the pastor search team whenever I came here. And, and he was Don Baggett's best friend. Uh, there have been so many people who have influenced me uh, down through the years. And here I can name off uh, our, our deacons, the guys that I've served with as deacons have influenced me so very much. The guys that I've served with as deacon chairman, that's a, a guy by the name of Lance Stewart, Bob Gordon, Lynn Moore, Philip Izzard, um, those guys, Jay Nail, those guys have influenced me. We just got to work with them. I bleed off on them. They bleed off on me. And the product is ministry. And so that's what I would say. That's a, that's a good question, Thomas, about who has influenced you the most, a normal person. What would you say to that? So, um, well, I, yeah, as, as far as a normal person, so we're not including pastors, right? We're not, if, right, because right, if yeah. we were including pastors, I would say Mark Howard. If I, we're including like Bible professors and uh, obviously Dr. Meeks, mm -hmm. um, as far as church members, um, I think uh, Ray Cossett, Ray Cossett at Tiplersville Baptist Church, mm -hmm. he was a long time serving, de a long serving deacon deacon at Tiplersville, still a deacon at Tiplersville. 
And he and my family, we would go out to eat on Sundays and he just, I don't know, we just bonded in that time. I've already mentioned one in this podcast, Jerry Brauner. Yeah. Um, he's great. And then, then another guy from First Baptist Nettleton would be Glenn Hester. Glenn uh, owned like a, a home building uh, company. He was a deacon. Um, he, he just, he had one of those large personalities, always picking on someone. He never yeah. called you by your name. He always had nicknames for everyone. Yeah. Um, and so he would be a person as well that, that yeah. greatly influenced me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, influences, it may help make us who we are today, good, bad, or they're never indifferent. Those influences are good or bad, whichever way. Exactly. And they, they influence us. That's right. So. My last question is yeah. very similar to the one I asked before. Mm -hmm. It is, what is your biggest regret in relation to family? Okay. Yeah. More than likely, I'm guessing that some people would say I've spent too much time at church and not enough time with my family. Yeah. Or I regret not taking that vacation or I regret doing or uh, bringing too much work home with me. Yeah. And so I would want to ask them, what is your biggest regret when it comes to family? And then if I got to follow that up, I would probably say, well, how can a young pastor or a young minister not fall into those same traps? Yeah. What are some um, safeguards that a young minister or a, a person would need to place in their life so they don't fall into that as well? Yeah, I think that's really good. I would say some pastors with children, you know, once a pastor is either an empty nester or if a pastor doesn't have any children, that's kind of a different realm. But a pastor with children needs to think about how often he moves because it puts his children through a difficult issue. I, I, I'm so very thankful. Whenever I became a pastor, Taylor was four years old and she started kindergarten at Marietta Elementary and she went all the way through. She was in the fifth grade when we left there. She moved down the road to Wheeler Elementary. Whenever I moved, she went to my second church. She was there from fifth grade through to 10th grade. She came to Itawamba as a 10th grader. She graduated from Itawamba High School, graduated from Itawamba Community College. She's now a senior at Blue Mountain College. And I'm so thankful that we were able to spend five years at basically every church, at least five years. And she was able to be settled because some guys, dude, 18 months here, 28 months there. Oh, I had a long tenure, 38 months, but you know, in his, in his children suffer. But, but even in that, I think we were both surprised when we interviewed our children on the podcast that time, that even with that, they still viewed those those moves as kind of uh uh what's what's the word traumatic in a sense yes traumatic yes. for their lives and and i never saw that in my son tom tom and i'm sure you never yeah. saw that no in taylor, in taylor. so mm -hmm. but then for them to say that it was just like where's this coming from <laughs> <laughs> why didn't you say something well they had to learn all new church friend groups were all new all new school friend groups everything was changed where if a person in corinth mississippi goes leaves working at kimberly clark for a job at caterpillar their kids never change they go to the same church you know none of that ever changes but for our children everything was uprooted and changed that's with, right with their friends yeah it really was david i I've enjoyed talking about this uh, subject with you. We've been talking about 
what three questions we would want to ask a great pastor. Yeah. One day we're going to talk about what makes a great pastor. That's right. Hopefully in their next uh, batch of podcasts. That's yeah. right. So I just, again, want to thank y'all for joining us today and hope you will join us again for the next episode of the Ministry Marks podcast. <laughs>